All right, here we go. Episode 9 of Beyond the Pass. Uh, sitting on the 27th floor, Vantage Venues. Got that beautiful September sky glaring at me. I'm here with my uh, my riding partner, Nathan Hogan. Fresh off of a weekend at Goodlot with Southern Crown. I got the old man out helping me slang out some barbecue and some Caribbean food. Um, and we got a fun guest today. We got... Uh, we got our buddy John Hodd from Radical Road Brewing Company. He's the head brewer there. Um, I've known John for a while because John also happens to be the son and brother of my uh, my two bosses. So I'm going to have to be real nice to John today. Uh, make sure I get that Christmas bonus. Um, but yeah, we're excited. We're excited to have have you here, John, and uh, just get like a new uh, like a new little. Uh, you know, we've we've had a, a sommelier, we've had some chefs, we've had some suppliers, so now we're, we're bringing the beer aspect in, so that should be fun, and um, maybe we can we can figure out a little bit of, like, how brewing and cooking sort of are lo- along the same, like, paths as far as, like, uh, creativity and flavor and taste and the science of beer, so we're excited to talk to you, man. Yeah. New avenue to uh, be on the pass, if you will. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Very cool. Happy to be here. Very flattered that you think I pulled that much weight in the uh, Vantage Venues business that uh, that you have to be nice to me. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, I know that you're not, uh, you don't hold as much weight as Craig, the adopted child of the Hod family, but. Oh, uh, Craig's tough to beat. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, the advisor, he right? He's like from the Godfather. He's the. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. You should, should always listen to Craig. No more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would never. Uh, I, w- I would never disrespect Craig in a Hod's presence. Uh, so I guess like the start for you is kind of cool, right? Because you, your first, like your first sort of gig in the industry was as a cook, right? Correct. Yes. So how did that come about? How did that start? Yeah, the, the cooking led me away from what my very first pursuit was, which was uh, being a musician. I was actually in school for music, uh, like post-secondary, but very quickly. I actually had a class. It was like a music theory class. And uh, the teacher was like, raise your hands if you think you're going to musicians, working musicians. And like everyone rose their hands. And they're like, yeah, only about like 10% of you are. And he got like really real. He started like writing like what the rent is in Toronto. And this is like close to 20 years ago. So it's increased quite a bit and, and like the cost of living. And then he's like, and then he's how many gigs there are in the city. And this is what gigs just like really opened my eyes. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get real here. And uh, so I started to want to pursue something that was, that I found that was still kind of expressive if you will uh or creative uh so yeah the cooking thing uh kind of took hold uh worked at um a few a few different places i didn't ever get like super super 
deep into it as far as like how how um, advanced my career was or anything. But uh, uh, yeah, I got to work. My the last restaurant I worked at, I started to get into like um, making charcuterie for it and uh, was like handling all the, their high end cheeses. It was a French restaurant, and that got me really interested in, in cheese. And cheese is kind of went from working in restaurants to cheese. And then I, um, through this chef I worked for, he hooked me up with an old family friend who had a farm in France. And I went to France and I worked on this uh, goat cheese farm. And then I made a connection with another family um, working where they had cows. And I worked over there and we made like Alpine style cheeses, something similar to like Comte or Gruyere. And uh, spent a few months doing that. And I got back into the city. And uh, I liked the cheese making aspect, you know, making something again. And uh, you get back to the city and there's no cows here. So I was working for, uh, for a cheese wholesaler that had a shop. And, uh, and I was working at the shop mostly. And I uh, started homebrewing because that's I'm making something again. And uh, always been a lover of beer and uh started to discover some of those similarities of beer and and cooking and uh got got really invested in that and uh yeah started started as a home brewer so just just to kick back to the the cheese thing for a minute um was there anything that you did while learning to make cheese that you can that you can sort of now adapt to brewing is there any similarities at all to that uh, that you would that you kind of can draw like a, a line a parallel line between or no good question um the two different uh farms i was working on they were farms like where they had their own animals uh you'd wake up at 6 a.m in the morning you would um feed the cows or the goats at the other farm you would uh I can't, remember, I can't remember all the jobs. It was nonstop, though. What were all the jobs? Feeding them was important. That was the big one. Um, but then in the midday was uh, where you're actually making the, making the cheese because you've collected the milk. And um, they couldn't be more polar opposite. One was like a laboratory, so clean. It was all about sanitary. It was all about um, the bacteria culture used was very – was make sure that that is the only one nothing natural can get into this and that was the goat cheese whereas on the other side making these alpine style cheeses it was all about the environment they wouldn't inoculate the the milk with a bacteria culture but they still welcomed everything and it was more like a damp cellar environment rather than this like clean laboratory so uh so from that i kind of see both of those worlds in brewing um i think i'm a little more towards and i have a lot of us are probably more towards the very clean laboratory um because it's very difficult to do that other you know um welcoming every your environment into your product these are the products we'd see from from belgian cantillon and uh, those the sours, lambics, and, and fun stuff like that. But it's really you know it uh, kind of takes decades or centuries to kind of build this uh, those kind of portfolios up. So when you uh, when you were making cheese, or now that you you had the 
the experience making cheese um, and working in the cheese shop, what's the go-to, man? Like, what's what's the what's the best cheese in your opinion? What's your favorite cheese to eat? What's your favorite style? Yeah, so if I'm buying a cheese at a grocery store, I'm always going to buy like Gruyere de Grotte. That's like the cave-aged one. Like if I'm ever at a cheese shop, I'm always picking up a block of that. Got those little nice crystallized crunches. Or Comte. Comte is maybe like a little grassier than Gruyere. Gruyere is maybe a little like nuttier, you know, if you want to get like real into it. But uh, both of those are, are like my favorite cheeses. But the best cheese in the world, hands down, there's no dispute, is a fresh, cracked wheel of Parmesan. Yeah. You're ever at a shop and they split open the Parmesan for the first time. It's like hot inside. I don't know. It like holds heat inside there. It's like warm and gooey a little bit. You got to grab yourself like a giant chunk that day. Yeah. What is the what is the so on the cheese now? What are like what is the gnarliest cheese you've ever had? Are you into the super strong pungent uh, stuff? Have you ever tried? You know, potentially like the you know, like I've I've done research. We've all seen the cheese from Italy with the maggots inside. Like, have you ever? What's the most extreme cheese you've had? Because I thought I was the king of like strong cheeses, and I was at Joel Robuchon restaurant, and the cheese trolley came by like this thing was from the gods, brass. <laughs> I said, yeah, I want some cheese. And I go, what's your strongest cheese? And they just took the dome off it. And I just like, ah. It's <laughs> red, had this really dark red sort of yeah. slimy exterior. And as soon yeah. as I busted it open, I took one bite and I thought I was chugging a bottle of pneumonia. It was really crazy. So Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, pneumonia is, is, yeah. is what's happening there. Yeah. Half the restaurant probably left when that uh, cheese got cracked too, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, I bit off too much I could chew there. So do you have, is there anything that jumps out at you? Any stories? Yeah, like- yeah good question. What was, um, yeah, uh, I really, so, so what you're describing is typically, and those ones that get like really funky and not to be confused, like, you know, people consider like blue cheese to be like really weird and funky but i i don't find blue cheese to be that extreme but what you're describing those those would be like the more extreme ones um a classic example of it is a pois i might probably might not be saying this correctly Mm -hmm. Uh, despite spending some time in france it might my french is just god awful um but uh yeah that they they say that it's actually that cheese is banned in the Paris subway system. <laughs> like, like one of the national cheeses is just so, oh, okay. but I do when it's like fresh and young, I actually really like it. But as you say that ammonia smell is like, is when it's getting like older, it's the proteins breaking down and I'm actually someone like, even like in a grocery store with my mask on. Yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll pull down the mask. I'll sniff out what I got, make sure it's got no, none of that ammonia smell. And then, yeah, we're good. It can go, it can go in the cart. So, this is me. Now I've revealed myself that I'm not like a nice fancy uh, cheese shop giving my supply. I'm uh, <laughs> at a Loblaws all of a sudden. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Sometimes it's hard to get to a nice fancy cheese it is, shop, right? It's hard these days. It's hard these days. Although I was at Cheese Boutique not too long ago. I mean, that, that store blows me away every time I'm in there. Yeah. Well, they that's like uh, they put a lot of work into that place. That place is oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the mecca right there. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I get to go to Global Cheese every week in Kensington, and that's good mm-hmm. enough for me. The mm-hmm. 
the cheese boutique's a bit of a, a circus. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Um, you got to call the bank and you're like, hey, can you like move some money around, make sure my my uh, checking account is nice and flat? <laughs> or a cheese boutique. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Like um, Ikea, right? It just ropes you in and next thing you know, it's like, uh, yeah. oops, do <laughs> it again. You know, I've actually never been to an Ikea in my life. It's one of my proudest accomplishments. Uh, I wish I could say the same thing, Kyle. Yeah, I just refuse to go. Every time my wife brings it up, I pretend I can't hear. Um, So earlier when you were talking about flavors, you mentioned like grassiness or like the flavor of hay. Um, It's so funny when 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 you mention flavor profiles like that because I think sometimes if you were to say that, some people would turn their nose up at that. Um, But... and this go and the reason why I bring it up because it goes well with beer too. Sometimes you get like a, a a style of beer or a style of cheese, and it sort of has that like barnyard hay or grass flavor. And man, what an like it sounds silly, but what an appealing flavor for me. Like I love like those barnyard style ales, or like you said, those cheeses. Like there's a, a great goat's cheese out of Quebec where they uh, they age it in the straw. And uh, it really just adds like this really extra um, layer of flavor. Um, so I guess you can sort of draw like a parallel in flavors right there, right? Between like cheese and beer and food and, and alcohol. And uh, so that's got to be something that really uh, sort of like help bridge the gap for you to start, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, with those kind of flavors, typically they are a lot of the time relative to where the product is made. Right. Um, so, uh, for cheese, you know, a lot of the, for, for those kind of grassy notes to come through, it's generally like what the cows are eating. Right. Um, these are these, those kind of flavors they might be like soft or subtle, but, uh, they add that complexity and that's kind of, I find what really makes, uh, you know, that product you're spending more money, money for versus, you know, that very industrial kind of farmed out, uh, cheese. So there's tons of beers that have that, uh, you know, um, you know, if, if you took, you know, the recipes we do and you use a different water supply, you might, you might get something different. You know, a lot of people like to kind of change the water supply and I kind of keep it. I actually all the time, I just kind of, that's that's the water I use, and that's that's what you get. So for for brewing, um, that you know, if you're to take a recipe somewhere, you might have to make some adjustments or whatever. Um, but I guess that's like a thing that maybe a lot of people don't know about. Well, g- beer and I guess spirits as well. Like the most important thing is water, right? Like that's the ingredient that sort water. of. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like does all the talking for like that's why places like Portland have great beer because they're getting that like glacier water or that's why mm-hmm. like certain places have certain styles of beer because the water is different. Like yeah. um, I was very surprised when I was in South Carolina, their beer scene was really amazing and like their water is horrible. It's the worst water I've ever had in my life. Like it tastes like you're drinking a swamp, like the tap water tastes like you're drinking the color green. Um, yeah. But for some reason, the beers there are great. And I asked a lot of them the question about the water. And a lot of them were like, we're a a Southern Carolina brewery. And 
this is our water and we're proud of it. And this, so this is how we're making our beer. And, you know, it yeah. worked for them, right? Yeah. Toronto, Toronto has good quality water for, for being a city of the size it is. Um, now, at the same time, you're still... Um, all these breweries are going to have some type of water filtration system. Like I have a three step filter where you're taking out, you know, any, you know, chlorine, chlorine is used to kill off bacteria. That's that would be at the, um, the, the water station kind of thing. And, um, uh, but, but some people go one step further and they start um, pulling out all the minerals. The minerals are really going to what be the character, right? So once you get rid of all that swampiness, or so, <laughs> um, as you say, um, what you're left with might be something pretty nice behind there that is going to represent what the land is, right? Yeah, and I guess like, and we've started appreciating that more recent, like recently, like obviously in before times, but now again, it's like you should appreciate what it is and where it's from, right? That's what makes it unique. So I guess mm-hmm. that's part of it. Um, so the connection between f- food and beer, like I guess we're going to or in like cheese and beer and sort of how you, you started your path. Like it is sort of, it's sort of, a, it is kind of obvious, right? With the flavors, the ingredients, uh, the fact that you're making something of your own. Uh, Absolutely. Your own yeah. of, uh, path yeah. that you're taking while you're making these things. Um, so what was the, when you decided to leap into brewing too, like this was before the craft beer surge, right? This was before the explosion of like every guy, every Brad and Chad wants an IPA, right? Like it's, it was before that. I'm I'm right in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, there was totally an explosion yeah so you were in before yeah i count myself very lucky i was actually able to sneak into the industry before the brewing program started up out of niagara college um that more or less has become a bit of a prerequisite to working in the industry in ontario um so i was able to uh land a land a job I don't actually know if it was a job. I wasn't paid at first. I, w- I worked into a job, but I started working as a server at Bar Volo, um, their original location at uh, Dun Donald and Young. They have two different locations now, and uh, sadly, the original location is uh, stands a condo. If it's been finished yet, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, I was. I worked there as a server. I got a job there as a server. I'd never served before. I'm. I'm I was always working in kitchens, and I worked at that at the for the cheese company, the cheese wholesaler and cheese shop. And um, I knew I was like, yeah, I think beer is where I'm going to land here. And um, I guess I had some service experience with like working with customers at the shop, but serving tables was a different thing. And I was I was terrible. I, it was not. It was not for me. Um, not that I would like mess every order up or anything, you know, the, the, the chef actually liked me a lot. So that's got to say something, you know, very uh, likable, John, you're very likable. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I, uh, uh, I got that job specifically because they had this pilot system about hundred liter um, brew house 
and no one had really started working on it yet. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get a job there and I'm going to see if I could like, you know, do a few brews for them. So uh, yeah, over time, I convinced Ralph, Ralph Morana, the owner of Bar Volo, you know, let me, let me in here. Uh, and uh, he was a little hesitant at first. And uh, he was actually sitting down having a drink with Michael Hancock, who is um, a legend in the Ontario beer scene. Uh, he owned, um, was a part owner of Growlers, which was totally big brew, head, brew pub uh, ahead of its time, I think in the 90s on Victoria Street. That location that's like changed to like five different brew pubs. That was like a Duggins and yeah, it was that was the Duggins he, one, right? Yeah, it was originally his brew pub called Growlers, and that's where he came out with the Denison's uh, Vice beer, which was um, an Ontario staple without a doubt. Uh, and then he was uh, he opened up with other people, Side Launch Brewing Company. Um, so he was an absolute legend. He was, and I remember like him and Ralph were there and I had like one of my homebrews and I was like trembling. I was like, here guys, try this and, uh, see what you like. And it was my, uh, sour cherry Saison. And, uh, Ralph was like, it's not bad. It's not bad. But that's big. That's a big compliment from Ralph. Like you gotta, you gotta take those as, as something, you know? And, uh, I think he was like, okay, let's come and uh, he was doing like he, he was doing it where he had did a lot of like collaboration brews with other brew, um, brewers and uh, but he wanted to get his own brands off the ground. So he's like, okay, like let's invite you in and uh, you can check out working with some of these other brewers. So it was a great experience. Um, got to do a collaboration beer with uh, Ian McCustra from Amsterdam, um, Mike over at Great Lakes. Um, uh, quite a few Quebec breweries were coming through. So it was an awesome experience, especially me like trying to get in the door. It was, it was amazing. Uh, and, uh, and then I started doing their, uh, what they called like the house ales brands and started developing recipes and, and brewing for them. And, and really it was just, I was still working full time as a server there and um, doing all this on the side. Uh, maybe my last six months there or so I started getting a bit of a paycheck uh which was nice like when you get that first one you're like oh okay there's something here okay yeah <laughs> and you can like no matter what happens from then you can brag that you actually got paid to brew beer once that's it exactly exactly you got at least one check <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i actually just plaqued it on the wall it wasn't <laughs> it was yeah hey so john i got a question so you know as you know we've all been in the industry and, and, and as a cook you know you you conjure up certain recipes and then when you get down to executing it, maybe it doesn't go according to plan. Um, mm. So maybe give me an example of that. Uh, and then that maybe it didn't go according to plan, but something bigger and better became of it. Is there a certain, is there a certain beer that jumps out at you that was going oh. in a hurry and you resurrected it into, into something special? Yeah, that uh good question. Very good question. Um, Brewing is a little bit like baking in the sense that um, there's, it's hard to change things at the end. There's little things you can do where I find with cooking, you can kind of massage how things are going the whole, like the whole process process through. You're kind of, you know, you have your brew day, you put in your fermenter um, 
I don't want to say you like fingers crossed, like you, you, you know, I like to think I'm like beyond fingers crossed. Like, I hope this works. Like I, I, I like to think I know a little more than that, but you know, still you're like, yeah, you know, every, you know, even with, um, yeah, even when you've brewed a, a recipe time and time again, there's these very little things that like from batch to batch, things can change just ever so slightly. Um, uh, as far as salvaging a batch, there was one, and um, you're calling me out here. You're calling me out. You know? That's what we do. That's what cooks there do, was right? A fixed, I was early on, and there was a bunch of beers we did at Radical Road for like in our first year, and uh, that I was really, really happy with. Uh, one was like our eight track IPA, which is uh, uh, an LCBO brand, and then I thought it was tasting great at the brew pub, and uh yeah we had a lot of beers i was really happy with uh um our yuzu these are just shameless plugs no, i've had sure. those ones actually yuzu. actually i was there i was at i oh. went to the opening and then That's i did right. the ramen pop up there that one time so I got yeah to everything the yuzu one was done yeah but please two to yeah. one i really enjoyed that the, the story of yuzu is maybe a little uh similar to what you're saying too and i'll circle back to that but uh we had this one tank that wasn't tasting right and um uh, we hit it with uh, watermelon juice. I fucking Just, remember that. <laughs> I was I was the chef there. That I remember that. Like the watermelon beer. I'm like, oh, I don't like this. It became your like highest rated beer, and people are like coming back asking for it. I'm like, oh, please no. Yeah. John, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. Like that beer, I didn't like that beer, man. <laughs> yeah, good. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, but I remember that beer, and I remember Simon being like. This is this watermelon beer, and he told me this story. I knew this is where this was going. And I remember tasting it and just being like, "Great, I'll uh, I'll have a I'll uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll have a slingshot, please, like take this back." Like the highest ranked beer of ours. I was like, "Really, really?" <laughs> Got to drive you crazy. Yeah. Now we do have a watermelon sour beer that we did in the summer. This this product's not to be confused with that. I'd like to think it's been fine tuned and fixed now, kind of thing. But uh, oh, I love yeah, it. You really, you really called me out with that question. That's a great story. That's great material. That's what the kids love for listening to this podcast. So yeah. we kind of like, as the story was going on, sort of dove into the radical road thing. Uh, yeah, you want to just sort of give us a brief like the beginning of Radical Road and how that started. So I know you you were at Bar Volo. You spent some time at Black Oak. Bar Volo went to Black Oak. Um, yeah, there was a brief time where I was working um, at Black Oak part time and doing Bar Volo, and then I was able to do full time at Black Oak. Black Oak uh, Brewery out in Etobicoke. Um, uh, definitely uh, uh one of the earlier pioneers in the ontario craft beer scene um and i um worked with simon who was the head brewer at the time and uh he became he's a partner with me at radical road and he actually had started the radical road brand um by himself he had uh kind of had the name and and a logo and a concept for a brand and he was like, you know, he maybe got together in savings, you know, twenty, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, and then he's kind of did the math. I need some more. You want to? Can you like match that? So I kind of 
scrounged some bank loans, a family loan, and uh, was able to match it. And I just went totally blind. I was just like, I have, I have faith in you. You seem like, a, like, you know what you're talking about. I, I have faith in this. So uh, he, he had the first concept going and then I, I hopped on pretty early. And uh, the idea was, you know, the black oak doesn't get used on the weekends. What if we buy our own fermenter? And, uh, and then we brew on the weekends, it sits in the fermenter and, uh, and we do all the work. It, it won't, it won't affect any black oak production kind of thing. And we just do everything on the weekends and because we have our own fermenter. Fermenter is like where a beer is going to spend like 90%. So you have the, the brew day and that's just a one day thing. That's when you're making your basically sugar water out of the barley and the hops and then you send it over to the fermenter. Um, and then that's where it's going to actually ferment. And, um, and then it'll sit there, you know, 18 days, roughly give or take uh, depending on a style. And then it's going to go to a packaging tank and that might just be like two days and then it's kind of out the door. Um, so by us buying a fermenter, it meant you know, we're not going to take up any of the real estate of the other black Oak brands. So the owner can, um, an amazing boss, an amazing human, um, let us do this. So the, uh, the radical road journey began and it was a disaster at every single step of the way for our very first product, which was candy man. It was very ambitious. I think that was the problem. It was ambitious. Um, Simon's original business plan was, that uh, and it was it was a good idea. Don't get me wrong. It was that, especially at the time, there weren't a lot of high end beers, especially being made in Ontario. Most of like big bottled beers were always be coming from Bel- uh, Belgium, and, and you, um, yeah, we and we weren't getting much American stuff at the time. So his thought was, let's put out a Scotch whiskey barrel aged beer. And uh, this was Candyman, the first product. And it was uh, with the packaging, we had a bottle that we had to send to another producer so it could get powder coated, matte black. Then it had like a double label, a front and a back. And those that had like a really ornate cutout design, which we discovered is very hard to apply. Then the whole beer got tissue wrapped. It had a sticker to hold the tissue wrap together. And then it had two hang tags that went over top of it. And uh, in order to produce this many beers, I had to call in every single possible favor from everyone I knew. We had a little sweatshop running on the weekends at black oak like there was one day i think we had like 15 of our friends like between simon and i on folding tables of people like one person's job would be just to label the beer and would go over to like a wrap station someone would do the sticker so like it was it was just nuts i have to i think i helped a lot of friends move over the next couple years (laughs) yeah uh yeah i mean just every every aspect of that that the the tank we bought was a bit of a dud i i discovered early on that it um uh it leaked i think i think around like 10 psi 
uh, pounds per square inch, it would start to leak. And it was actually, we had a black oak beer in it. And it was the double chocolate cherry stout. And it was zero degrees. Like it was about to get um, carbonated. And we were just bringing up the head pressure on the tank. And I walked away for a minute in the, the door um, under that pressure, it kind of buckled and just beer started going everywhere. And within like one minute, we lost maybe like three to 400 liters of beer. Oh, I was yes. soaking wet in black chocolate stout uh, at zero degrees. I was just shaking. I was so cold. It was like jumping into Lake Ontario in December. And uh, and then the mopping after <laughs> everything was just covered in black beer so that was the tank we bought uh we we started to learn how to how to work with it you know it was it was delicate and uh yeah the other thing with the the barrels we got i think i don't know if anyone else has ever shipped a uh full container of like shipping container of scotch barrels over to ontario it was uh i think we got hit with like a two thousand dollar um, search fee oh my God. from the from at customs. Like we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know this was a possibility. We just got a phone call. They're like, yeah, we have to inspect this. And it was like, it was a few grand without a debt. I can't remember now. And I think, cause they had to, it was like a fee for breaking the lock on a container. And I think they had like a dog, like smell something. Um, so, so that was a blow. There was just like, there was just hard blows every step of the way. Um, then you get the bear and they're like, some of them got some whiskey still in there, but some of them are like dried out and you, we put our beer in it and then you come back the next day and the, the, the barrel might've only held half the beer. The rest of it just leaks all over the floor. Cause uh, a lot of the time with barrels, if, if they haven't been kept hydrated for long periods of time, the staves will start to dry up and then there's a gap between each one. So you know, over time, like you have your product in there, they will re-swell, but you may, you may have, you know, you might not have all of it in there anymore. So that was kind of disheartening. Um, all our packaging was coming from overseas. Never again, never again. And, uh, you know, to coordinate that and just like, you know, we'd get it and we're like, oh, this isn't really what we'd hoped it would look like, but it took like three months on a boat to get here. So I, th- I guess we'll go with it. Okay. So after, uh, after Candyman, you had uh, Wayward Son and then uh, that was sort of your, pro- your side project thing. And unless I'm mistaken, those were the two side project Radical Road beers before um, opening the actual brew pub that you have at queen and jones uh do you want to sort of quickly tell us about how that came about um how you got into the to the brew pub there um and just sort of uh what it's like sort of now also uh diving into being sort of a restaurant owner brewery owner that whole thing yeah yeah that's right uh wayward son was like the next product uh before we had the bricks and mortar location Wayward Sun was a lot simpler in many ways, trying to correct a lot of the uh, the past mistakes of Candyman, if you will. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, what's what's funny with when we opened up our location, we were also trying to get um, another brand off the ground 
as a general list product. So uh, general list meaning that it would be always available at the LCBO. This was going into a tall can, something a little bit more everyday drinking, which was not what our past products were. They were going more high end. Um, uh, so at the same time, we were getting this brand launched and really it started that we were just going to do that, uh, this other brand. And at that time, we started to bring in two other partners, one being uh, a, a Steve, who owns a design agency, and uh, he's actually family friends with my with my wife's family. And that's how we got connected. And then uh, Julian, who handles our sales. And he was, uh, I met him through my brother. So um, we, we thought, you know, between the four of us, maybe we got something here. So we started developing a brand called Slingshot. And the idea with this one was um, um, being, being more, more approachable and uh, great beer. It's still something we brew today. Um, uh, but then when we opened our brew pub at the same time, one of our brands uh, when we opened was the Yuzu. And it's just very funny because we spent like over a year developing the branding, testing recipes for Slingshot. And we finally had like Slingshot going out. And, uh, and then we, we opened up our brew pub and we had Yuzu, which was something I just threw together. I had Yuzu, a Yuzu cocktail once. And I was like, Oh, this is a cool flavor. I really like it. I did a little bit of research. I couldn't find really many breweries brewing with it i found that um i think maybe it was i can't remember now maybe brew dog out of the uk had made like a one-off beer with yuzu and there was like a couple like rate beers on it but it was like a yuzu wheat beer or something i i have forgotten now but but it didn't seem like i don't i don't know of anyone in ontario that had done it so it's like okay this could be kind of cool and uh I made the, the recipe was very simple. The whole concept was really just to kind of showcase the yuzu flavor. So everything else was kept very kind of restrained, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we kind of, the designer made a cool, funky look to it, which it still has today, but it was thrown together, you know, for, for opening Meanwhile, Slingshot, we'd been slaving over this for like a year and a half and everyone went wild for the Yuzu. It was just like, it just, it, it, it hit. And it's just funny that you can't plan these things. Uh, what's going to work? What's not going to work? And, and not to say Slingshot had its crowd without a doubt. And, and we still keep it around. We bring it out in the fall every year uh, and it's got a good following, but the Yuzu just, just took off. And it's just funny in that way that you, you can't plan for these things. So that was that was start of the brew pubs day. We had a pretty modest lineup, maybe four beers when we first opened. Uh, we had to dump one. I remember. I remember it was a dumper out of the gate. It happens. You got to dump them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember. That fix too. that one with watermelon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that. Um, yeah. One thing I will say, um, no bias for me. Like I. Uh, I definitely drank my weight in Yuzu and in Slingshot when uh, Radical Road first opened. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was in that kitchen uh, slaving away. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. I was, yeah. I was working for beers. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Both, both were great beers, man. So, then yeah. uh, the, the Slingshots, uh, that's sort of like a different style, right? Like a lot of, uh, it is, a lot of yeah. places aren't doing that. Like I know that it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
can be considered similar to a lager, but it's not, right? It's a California common? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So lager yeast strain, but you're, um, and, and it's also a uh, little bit breadier than your typical, typical like domestic lager. It's got a little more color to it. It's a little more of like an orangey copper color. Um, and you get a little more of that toasted malt kind of flavor to it, but it still finishes very like clean and crisp. It's not aggressive in any way. You know what? One thing I'll say about that slingshot and here's a little tip for anybody that wants to cook. Um, brining chicken i i love using slingshot uh yeah, when i'm brining the, when i'm the brining half chicken. chicken the half chicken dish right that's right and i still use it today um like and when i'm when i'm doing uh when i'm doing chicken brines and turkey brines and i want to use a beer now that's like because slingshot isn't available in my lcbo um, i'm trying to find things that are as close as possible or things that i find um as close as possible to that things that have a a maltier flavor so totally. like a, a higher like malt flavor in beers i find really good for uh brining poultry so there's a little a little tip a little hot tip i remember that that was tasty that's one for nate nate can nate can use that one for uh for grace and peyton um so Radical Road started, um, and you were still bouncing Black Oaks between the two. I know it was, I probably, was, yeah, it was yeah. probably a pretty crazy time for you. Um, I remember what year, what year was that? 2015? Yeah, that sounds right. It, it definitely yeah. took a couple years off my life. Radical Road was incorporated in 2012. Yeah, we opened the bricks and mortars at what 1177 Queen Street East, uh, 2015 and i didn't take my first paycheck until i think it was november 2018 it was the yeah. first time i got like a very modest paycheck <laughs> yeah that sounds right yeah. Yeah. um yeah. <laughs> so while radical road is opened like the bricks and mortar that is sort of around the time where the where the boom was happening right the the craft beery Total brewery boom. Total. Where now all of a sudden, yeah, every, everybody, every, every guy thinks he likes IPAs. That's the only beer that that exists in <laughs> everybody's minds. Even though there's so many amazing styles and flavors out there, but everybody's everybody's a big IPA guy, big IPA guy. Um, so that that had to have helped. But now that it sort of seems like it's simmered a little bit, right? Like. Don't get me wrong, craft beer is still extremely important. Yeah, but yeah. But it's not in that in that like crazy like that crazy boom period. Um, where do you sort of see the <laughs> industry going now? That the craft beer industry going now that it's sort of simmered. Are you happy with the path that it's on? Uh, do you think it'll just be stabilized the way it is now? And yeah, and, that, and that's fine. Yeah, you sort of think that's how it is. Sorry, now I'm not saying yes to, to your point exactly. I'm just uh, liking the question here. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a good question. I wish, first off, I wish I knew exactly where it was going and I put all my chips in on it, you know, kind of thing where, uh, yeah. you know, right now we're having the, uh, the seltzer boom, right? Yeah, we sure are. And, and, and I think with seltzers, it is, you know, it's not like the wine cooler boom that happened 10 years ago or whenever that was. This one for beer is actually taking beer customers. 
Um, yes. you know, I have a lot of friends that, you know, were used to be drinking, you know, a six pack on a Friday night and they are at a cottage and on the day and they switched it over to seltzers. Um, I can, I can sort of like shamefully admit that when I'm at the cottage now, like I used to be two, four Kyle, I drink a two, four on Saturday and a two, four on Sunday at the cottage all throughout the day. Really? Um, Yeah. Yeah. But now, uh, now in my older age, um, and I get a little, I get a little more bloated from the beers. I, uh, when I go, cause I, I live about a, about a 10 minute drive or I don't live. My cottage is about a 10 minute drive from Muskoka brewery. And they and they make their own seltzers as well. So now, yeah. with every couple of beers, I throw a seltzer into the mix, just to like sort of calm the belly a little bit, you know. So you, you were you were never at any point like maybe I don't need twenty four beers. You're like maybe I could just substitute some of those beers with seltzers. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That, actually, that reminds me when I was in high school, and uh, uh, you know, you know, we were drinking at parties and. Uh, my mom, you know, she'd come in and she'd always sell it, say, it smells like a brewery in here in the mornings when she'd like try to get my ass out of bed kind of thing. But I remember one time she told me, she's like, I don't get it. Like, why can't you guys drink a beer, then drink a pop, drink a beer and then have a pop? And I'm like, mom, that's like 12 plus pops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of pop. Do you really want me much drinking this much sugar, mom? Yeah. Way too many cokes. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, the seltzer thing is real though, and it definitely it is, is taking real. your drink. Yeah. Um, um, is that something that you're uh, you're thinking about diving into a little bit? Because I know a lot of these. Yeah, we we've done it a little bit. Um, we got some plans for some other products in that direction. Um, I think overall for the beer industry, um, especially back in my day at at Barvolo, like. And the beer scene was simmering. It was starting, that takeoff was really starting to happen. So many big beers getting brewed uh, at the time. Uh, yeah, uh, Belgian stuff, big uh, big stouts. And uh, and people were drinking them. People were loving these huge beers. I remember at, at uh, Volo, we'd have these nights and be like featuring uh, a bunch of different breweries and everyone's just getting getting smashed because we're all drinking like eight plus percent alcohol beers and uh it clearly wasn't sustainable and uh the sour movement has definitely been uh has been welcomed you know where uh it is uh most of the time lower alcohol um but i think we're now starting to see a trend a lot more loggers um just just simpler beers um which i think is a good good place for for the beer industry and i think that won't go anywhere and that's for- really that's really interesting man because it does seem like that it seems like the bigger beers are are sort of fading out it's almost yeah. like we got our fill of them right and like you were saying like it could only sustain for so long yeah. um because like that's how I sort of feel like my drinking like my beer drinking yeah. path has gone too where yeah um, it was a lot of heavier beers at first totally um, and now it's like yeah like I drink a lot lighter beers now than I used to um, yeah but the sours that's a you never really appreciate the sours until you go to a brewery that uh, that really like 
embraced them and like at the beginning of the sour craze embraced them and took them over like i when i was in portland we went to a brewery and they had 21 sours on tap that's all they had oh was that cascades that was cascades yeah yeah that i went there i went there unfortunately i was like already hung over from the night before oh yeah that's what portland is though no amount of time or Rolades, or uh, <laughs> no, or uh, what's it? What's the other one? Uh, the pill. Uh, well, I forgot now. <laughs> oh man! So when we when when we were at Cascades, um, it was after a bus tour of breweries. So we had gone to yeah. ten breweries already on a bus tour, and we wound up at Cascade. And shoutouts to Israel Moretto, my my boy. He fell asleep at at the bar at Cascade sitting up oh, in yeah. a bar stool <laughs> at, uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon. So yeah. that's my, that's my Cascade story. Yeah. Oh, you know, actually with Cascade, it wasn't that I was hung over. Well, maybe it was, you know, it was a beer drinking trip exclusively. That's um, definitely what it was for yeah. me as well. Uh, but uh, earlier in the night, uh, so yeah, Cascades specializes in sours. We were at Hair of the Dog, which specializes in strong beer. Oh, like those beers are heavy. That's where I was earlier in the night. Then we got to Cascades, and it was just yeah. I remember everything I had. I loved it, but it was hard to keep it going down. Yeah, Hair, Hair of the Dog had some serious beers. Like even for me, and I like to consider myself like a high alcohol content, bitter beer type of guy. That uh, those beers will sock you. Yeah, yeah. I was getting everything in little glasses, that's for sure. It's such a cool scene, though, that there's enough support where you can just zero in on this is what we do, you know? Um, for sure. I'd like to think Radical Road has a little bit of an identity that way. Not not nearly to that extreme, but I do brew very, in the last two years, very few high-alcohol beers. They're always like, you know, 6.5 and under. Um and, and whenever there's an ingredient, it's just like it's one ingredient on this that might be beyond what the style would accept rather than like, you know, a whole kitchen sink worth of ingredient. But uh, but but what you know, the fact that like a city like Portland can support a brewery that just does strong beers and a brewery that just does sour beers is is so cool to me. Portland's a Portland's a magical place for uh alcohol of like spirits beer coffee and food it's like a magical place and i don't really know very many cities that can uh that can be like that where every single small neighborhood has one of everything and they all support their own neighborhoods and everything thrives in their own neighborhoods and um portland portland's a real a really special place um for the food and uh food and drink industry there's there's definitely no no other place that uh that sort of compares to it when it comes to that like neighborhood local sustainability um, and the pride that that city takes in those things. Um, just so like, I know you've obviously drank a, a lot of beers in your, uh, a lot of beers in your day. What is your, the, your favorite beer? Like favorite number one best beer. What is it, John? Hmm. Oh man, there's a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm going to say. I'm gonna shout out to a classic Ontario brewery, Great Lakes Canuck Pale Ale. It that's is a good, so solid. It that's... is 
one of the few beers like I just can always trust when I buy it that it's going to be solid. Um, I love what that brewery is about. That brewery is, it's for everyone. It's, you know, like the prices are good. It's got good availability. It's so solid. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great pick. Okay, so then I knew that you were going to pick something that was a little more craft. So my second question is, what's your favorite mass-produced beer? I am loving Sapporo right now so much. But there's two different kinds of Sapporos you can get. You can get the Sapporo that's got like the big industrial like can. And I I can't remember the the, the cost of them, but they're more expensive. And that is the real Sapporo coming from Japan. But I'm not buying that. I am buying the Sapporo being brewed at the Sleeman factory. And it is solid. It is so clean. I'm loving it. Okay, so that, I, I actually really like that question because my I have two ma- favorite beers that are mass-produced beers, one of which is my favorite beer of all time, and that's Guinness. I just love Guinness. I love uh, – yeah, I know. Uh, um, but Sapporo, Sapporo would be my second, and I'm I'm not just – yeah, I'm just not boosting you because you said it. I dr- I drink a lot of Sapporos. That's Sapporo. Yeah. yeah, they're good. But even the one made in like Guelph, like I don't know, they got it. They got it going on, and it's getting fresh now. Yeah, Guinness, good call. That was that was the first beer that I truly loved. Yeah, I I think that like I I won't my bucket list won't be complete until I drink a Guinness like fresh out of the tap in Ireland in Dublin. Yeah. Like I think I have to. I feel that. I feel I haven't had the chance. Okay. And then the last one of these sort of beerish questions are what's your favorite beer that you've ever made? What's the best beer? Um, like one batch or just like a brand either or either or, uh, I'm going shameless plug and saying Yuzu. Awesome. I love- love that yuzu pale ale i i drink it all the time i'm never disappointed by it it uh it knows what it is you know it's uh got a very interesting flavor profile with a little bit of the citrus a little bit of uh tropical fruit and uh, but it's not over the top you can drink six of them call it a day um and I was, I've been kind of making fun of the IPA guys, but I love, I love IPAs too. I just like, Oh, I still love IPAs. Yeah. I, I just like making fun of those guys, but what's your favorite style? Do you have a favorite style or you just love them all? Um, I mean like loggers, loggers, pale ales, IPAs are typical, typically what I gravitate towards. Um, a logger, I can, if I'm going volume, you know, if it's an ice fishing weekend, I'm going yeah. with logger. Um, you know, for IPAs, I can really only have like one in an evening, maybe, maybe two, uh, nowadays. Yeah. Getting old old over here. Yeah. I know. I feel that I, I could, I can still down the APAs though. I, I I love the, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's just like this happy middle ground. That's right. Between a logger and an IPA, you know? Three random questions. So I know you're a bit of a raps fan. I like my raps. I like my raps. Yep, yep, yep. Top three raps of all time. Who are they? Oh. In, in order. One, two, and three. Yeah. In order. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to do this list without it being extremely cliche. Um, Agreed. Lowry's number one, you know? Yeah. He yeah. just took, he just, you know, put that 
Yeah, there's no other answer. That's the right answer. No, he's he's the best Raptor of all time. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard is the best basketball player to ever wear a Raptors jersey. Yep, easy one. Um, and I mean, I remember seeing Vince Carter at the Sky Dome. Yeah, so it's got to go, Vince. Yeah, I have a lot of uh, a lot of deep seated hatred for Vince, but he's got yeah. to top three. Yeah, it's, but I was like a kid when that went on. Yeah, no, maybe not. I'm lying. I think I'm lying. I think they were out of the. I think I'm mixing things up. They were they were out of the uh, out of the Skydome at that time, right? I think so. I don't remember. I remember seeing yeah, they were at, they were out. at the Skydome, but but I remember like my I was in my friend's basement and we we're watching that dunk contest and Trace McGrady's there and it was just. It was unreal to like, you know, it was this moment where like, okay, maybe we got something here, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, we're still like trashing the Raptors name. Like, really? This, this is ridiculous. What do they call it? You know, now I embrace it. Now I love it. Okay. Last question. Industry related. Actually, I got to take it. When you said your, your music prof kept it extremely real and frightened a lot of you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm just taking a page out because I do teach culinary at George Brown. So yeah. I'm going to try that approach and see what the looks on their faces are. I mean, I do keep it somewhat real, but not in your face. But there's actually yeah. cooking jobs, you know? There, there, are, there is. But yeah. Like, there's, yeah. yeah. Like when I was, I was at school for jazz guitar and uh, it was uh, not to say that jazz was going to be what I was going to be playing, but like at the time there was like, three jazz clubs in Toronto and one of them shut down when I was in university for this, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. They found out you were in university for jazz guitar and shut no, down. Uh, sorry, I said university, college. It was college. Sorry, they college. found out you were in college for jazz guitar and they shut their doors? Yeah, pretty much. They're yeah. like, it's getting bad, boys. Yeah, we've seen the future. Yeah. So so my last random question is about uh, the industry. So you did cook for a while. When, when, where was that moment when you're like, uh, there's not a chance in hell I'm going to pursue this for a living? Was there a moment? Did you just go in with an open mind with low expectations? Just... Uh, Give me an idea on on all yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, the last kitchen I worked in, uh, it was a French restaurant, and it was it was a party scene. It's funny that I'm in the brewing industry, but I would not be alive today if I still worked at that restaurant every night. You know, so I think. Uh, Can we get a name drop there, of the restaurant? What's that? Can you name drop the restaurant? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll name drop it. It was called Tati. It was uh, on Harvard Street, a French restaurant. It was awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, great, like, you know, French bistro, big portions of food. And uh, at the end of the night, the drinks were flowing, you know, and uh, everyone liked to party. And maybe that's not every single kitchen, but at the same time, you know, like, you know, I'd, I'd read the Kitchen Confidential book by this point. Uh, you know, I'm starting to get it. Uh, I remember, like, because yeah, it was close, it was right next to Splendido, and, like, the Splendido staff would come in over to party, and it's like, I, I feel like this might be an industry-wide thing. So it's funny that I got specifically into alcohol, but, you know, brewing's a little bit more 9 to 5 a little bit. Uh, yeah, I don't want to necessarily say that 
you know, I couldn't find any kind of work-life balance in that industry. Uh, so, so I maybe didn't put too much into that, but one thing for sure is I definitely wanted to like specialize in an aspect of, um, cooking. Uh, when I was at Tati, I started doing the sausages, doing, um, uh, which they weren't making before I was, uh, making our own bacon there, smoking the bacon. Um, they weren't doing that before I was doing the pâtés, the foie gras, um, um, we did, um, uh, like a, a salami trying for, I'm trying to remember some of the other stuff we were making, but I was uh, really in, interested in that kind of thing. Uh, but then that kind of led me into like, okay, maybe like cheese. So I like this idea of specializing in maybe some, like a, maybe at the time, what I thought was maybe a gap in the market. That's was kind of my, there was only a handful of cheese shops in Toronto or, um, I don't know, I'm still young and trying to figure it out, you know, but I like this idea of like getting really good at like one aspect of the cooking world. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Right. And it's like a lot better than slugging away on a, on a hotline your whole life. Yeah. Right. Like- yeah, but honestly, I would, I would not be alive if I was partying as frequently I was when I was working in the, that kitchen there. Yeah. I can, uh, great, I can, I, I, I have faith in you. You'd still be alive. I'm still alive. You'd be fine. <laughs> You're yeah. fine. Um, and then use a giant party after hours. Is that what happens? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> um, so I, when we were asking you when we were, when we were talking the other day, just sort of trying to get an idea of like what, what your outside interests were, you, you did say that you still love to cook. And then we sort of go on, uh, we, we brought up Southern Crown and then you're talking about how you love to barbecue. So what's, uh, what's the one barbecue item uh, for smoke or one barbecue item, smoker item? What's your best one, man? What, what's the one that you do the best? I, I've been working hard at ribs lately. I just did ribs three weekends in a row. Um, the last weekend, I waited until my wife was had a couple cocktails on the Friday evening where I was like, mm, by the way, I, I bought another two racks of ribs and I'm going to be smoking ribs <laughs> tomorrow again. And uh, she was cool with it at the time. And then she woke up she's like, this is a bad idea. Like you're like unavailable all day. Cause you know, you gotta, you gotta be on standby. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I was happy. The third rack, I was happy there. Or the third, uh, third weekend in a row trying to perfect it, you know? Me and you're gonna have to have a rib throwdown. I think. I think that. Okay. Would be- I like that. You're gonna. You'll crush me. You'll crush no, me. no, come on. That's not true. Um, you'll I'm have all, to- I'm all charcoal grilled. I'm not even on a smoker. It's just like a Weber kettle grill. Oh, uh, that those are beauty, man. That, beauty. Those are great. Oh, I love them. It's got the uh, the 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 grill as the flip uh, the flips, so you can keep on adding coal or wood to to what you got going on. So yeah. yeah. No, go. those are be- those are beauty. Those and for ribs, they're perfect. You don't need much You're more than that. Great for ribs, yeah. I think yeah. I did like three uh, pork shoulders this summer too. Yeah, I haven't done a brisket on it yet, though. I'm like, I've told myself, I'm like, I'm not doing ribs until I mastered the, sh- the shoulder, and I'm not doing brisket until I've mastered the ribs. So brisket coming soon. Yeah, brisket's an expensive mistake to make, right? <laughs> it's expensive, and it's also. It's like 18 hours, you know, I got to like adjust my sleep schedule for this one. Yeah. You got to, you got to sleep outside under the grill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, well, you're going to have to come and check us at Southern Crown, man, and see if, uh, see if oh, you like our barbecue. It is so, oh, my, you're telling oh, me what's going on. Oh, 
Will you be there, Nathan? Uh, I don't know. I <laughs> be, but I'm just uh, tooting Kyle's horn. He's done. Uh, I mean, it's been ongoing, right? He's been at it for quite a few months, and you can see things are getting refined. Things are. Yeah. Getting, I mean, there's things that just blew me away right out of the gates, but now it's like everything that I try, it's like, okay, you're. <laughs> You're there, dude. So I just can't wait yeah. to open and uh, I can walk in there like Rick James and not pay for food. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, and John, like we have a, we've built a great relationship with Goodlot Brew. So uh, uh, with Goodlot Farmstead Brewery. So that'll give you an excuse to bring the wife and kids up and eat some barbecue and drink some Love beers. It. So are you always located there? Uh, no, they're on our rotation of pop ups. Oh, okay. Cool. <clears throat> but as. Uh, we got kicked out of the East End. We had a little bit of a, an issue in the East End uh, with the landlord. So we uh, we sort of moved around a bit and I see. We found a nice little home at Goodlot. Um, okay. And so we've had some fun there. And uh, I think we've built a good connection there. And their, nice. their, their brews are great. So it's definitely a, at a pretty amazing place. So you should come check us out one day, John. Yeah, I love it. Well, what's your setup? Are you on like an outdoor outdoor barbecue kind of thing they have a food they have like a little uh food truck there so we cook out of their food truck oh, and I, okay. I haul in my smokers and so we do that That's... caribbean southern flair so oh like, man that is those are two of my like favorite kind of foods coming together me too man that's yeah and they they lend themselves well to each other so it's great yeah. and your partner barry does awesome uh jamaican food yeah like i don't want to compliment him too much in case he listens to this but yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I must have. I, I overdid it on the on the jerk on on when we on Saturday. I just like I, I put the mask on that I was wearing the next day, and I'm just like, oh, fuck, I'm still hungry. Because I was just jerking it inside of my mask. <laughs> That's hilarious. Is that it, there, Sir Kyle? I think so. I think that uh, this. I think this is the end of the of the list of questions. Um, think it was a great time john thank you for yeah I'm, I'm i'm a little bummed my connection was not as secure as my neighbor promised me <laughs> don't worry john uh, we'll, we'll polish this turd and you won't even know it. it'll be yeah okay. okay anyways he's the turd yeah. polisher not me okay so uh john pleasure to meet you man it's a very uh, amazing story uh, really inspiring stuff. Uh, you know, it's all about flavor, whether it's beer, cheese, it's food. Um, I learned a ton. Pleasure to meet you. Um, any quick plugs uh, before we head out here? Quick plugs. Oh, I think I, I think I dropped a few throughout the show, uh, sure, but definitely uh, 1177 Queen Street East. Come visit us. Uh, you know, Yuzu, 8-Track, and the LCBO. We actually have a really tasty low-calorie beer called four track uh it's a four percent more of like a session style ipa it's a hundred calories actually a little bit lower but it says 100 calories um i say it is the no hangover beer i can uh i know i got an eyebrow raise out of you there nathan i mean i'm not i I mean i don't drink often but when i do uh, the next three to four days that I'm not myself. Yeah. So I'm There's gonna take a note on that one too. Super low sugar, because the sugar is yeah. what what kills you, you know? Um so uh yeah we got that available at the L C B O. Um yeah, just kinda keep us in your minds. Good for you. Well keep doing what you're doing and uh keep in touch. And uh thank you again once again. So this is a wrap for us. 
here at Beyond the Pass from lovely vantage venues. My partner in crime, the lovely, the talented Kyle McClure, and myself, Nate Hogan. Uh, until next time, everybody, thanks for listening, and we out. Thanks for having me. We out of here. Yo, what happened to peace? Peace, 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 peace. peace. Ah.